We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, media, and today's episode is sponsored by Publishers Clearinghouse, the leading media and commerce company serving America's heartland. We are excited Dr. Zabina Basin is hanging out with us today. Dr. Zabina is a mom, a physician, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. Let's jump in and get to know Dr. Basin. Dr. Zabina, how are you? Welcome to our show. I'm great. How are you? I'm very excited to be here. We are too. We're thrilled. We're excited to get to know all the things that you're working on. But first, can you tell our audience a little bit about where you're from, where you were born and raised, and tell us a little bit about your family? Absolutely. So I am what we call an OG LA girl, if you know what that means. I'm born and raised Southern California girl. I was born in Santa Monica. I was raised in Cerritos, California. I'm an Orange County raised girl. And I went to school here in Anaheim Hills and again, then went to um, high school out here. And then I went to college in India where I did med school. So I went culturally back to, you know, we call it the motherland. So (laughs) that's where I went back to, to do med school. And um, I'm South Asian. So I am from the Indian continent or my family is, and I am Punjabi by culture. I am Sikh by religion. I'm actually married to a Hindu Punjabi, so I'm raising bi-religious children in this bi-diverse world. Actually, it's not bi-diverse, it's like multicultural world that we live in today. But, you know, I'm from that Indian heritage, which I was very much raised in. My father was very well known within the Sikh community, also within the American community, as one of the Sikh leaders here in California. He was one of the leaders who built also one of the leading Gurdwaras, which is our Sikh temple in Los Angeles. So I was raised in a very, very Sikh home, like to the point where my parents were like, you speak Punjabi at home and you can speak whatever you want outside the house. And, um, you know, but I was also sent to an all girls Catholic school. So it wasn't like my dad was like against or like had any prejudice against. He was just like, I want you guys to have what I could teach you. You live in the United States. It's difficult, you know, to give you best of both worlds. And so I'm very excited about that. And then eventually from high school, I went straight into medical school, chose the path of being the doctor, engineer, or lawyer that we are taught as South Asians to become, <laughs> you know, because there's no such thing as anything else in those days. But um, our parents only knew what they knew and went to med school and literally came back from med school and decided to go into a path of psychiatry and and child therapy. And I practiced in India for a little while. Eventually what had happened was I decided to stop practicing and I went into healthcare administration, which I loved. And then my last position when, before my son was born, I built a cancer center here in Tarzana, California. It is right now the leading cancer center and it's actually owned by Cedars now. So Cedars Sinai Hospital owns it. And that's when I left and started raising my kids. And my son went to school at the age of two years old. And that was right before COVID hit. And I launched a company called In Kids Co. Well, it's actually called In Kids with Love. Everyone calls it In Kids Co. because of our social media handle. But wow. In Kids is what I founded and based off of my history of medicine, of you know, working with kids, as well as looking at my own children and seeing that I have this diverse world where we need to teach culture and tradition and other about other countries to our kids through their cultures and traditions and started this amazing company in March. And then we had this wonderful thing called COVID-19 mm. in us. 
So <laughs> some challenging times, but in an amazing way, it's been a blessing in disguise for a lot of parents. So that's really where we're at. I also have a um, foundation that I am this chief operating officer for. It's called Shy Mamas. I launched with a really good girlfriend of mine in Chicago, Happy Her, and we just merged with Chai Mamas. And we are the leading women's South Asian women network. So we actually help and give resources, funding, give them all that they need. Um, we mentor also young South Asian women in their careers. Um, we bring different brands together. So we are right now the leading South Asian women network out there. Actually, right now, and not only in our country, but we're expanding to Canada and to the UK and also to India. So it's very exciting. That's great. What, what an amazing you know background and experiences and you know, uh, tell us about how you think that impacted you with your sense of culture and identity. Wow. Um, we're raised in the United States in a household when we are from different cultural backgrounds. You know, my parents were Indian and I was raised also in this American society of trying to be something that whether I wanted to or not, but I was being shown like, this is the road that a lot of the kids are doing. You should be like this. You should look like this. You should act like this. You should wear these kinds of clothes. And then I was in my household living where I was torn because I loved my culture. I'm very Indian. <laughs> like if you know, I will go off in our Punjabi language or in our Hindi language and my friends will be like, because all of a sudden this accent comes out because I studied in India and they're like, who are you? Uh, yeah, they're like, where did that come from? And, and so this history that I was raised in or this, the growth that I was raised in, in my household really taught me that I had to learn and respect and understand many different cultures. Mm. So it wasn't only my own culture, because I was raised in Cerritos. We had a very Southeast Asian, diverse background of, of people there. There were Koreans, there were Japanese, there were Hawaiians, there were Bangladeshis. There were also Caucasians and African-Americans. My best friend, Angie, back in school was African-American. So it's like we had a lot of, lot of races that I had to see and understand. And then it made me think as I grew that it's not only about my culture and my background or the American culture or the American background. There is a melting pot of us here in the United States. And we need to learn to be kind and respectful to all of them. And that's really what, what my path took me to, to go into psychiatry as well as to um, found in kids. Ooh, I, I want to expand on that a little bit. Tell us about how you got started on your career path and, and how did that all come about? So as a psychiatrist? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, yeah. So, so and, and others too. Right? You've, you, you've got several different uh, where and have done quite a bit. So I want to hear about it all. Well, honestly, I think the big picture is I've always been fond of children. Like there's always been some sort of connection that has happened with me and kids, whether I was a young adult and I, you know, babysat or I went out and worked with kids in dance groups or, you know, trained kids in, in the Punjabi school, in the Gurdwara, or, you know, just, I was always, you know, fond of working with kids. I will tell you, when I went to med school, I told my dad, he asked me, what do you want to be? What kind of doctor do you want to be? And I wanted to be a pediatrician. And I told him, I want to help all the kids around the world who don't have medicines. And I wanted to be that doctor who like gave herself to everything. And my dad looked at me and said, I'm not paying this much school for you to just like work for free. <laughs> so I, I was like, I just want to help kids. And I went into med school and I, th I think it was my second year of my pediatric rotation. And I saw an infant die and I couldn't do it. I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't see kids get hurt. And then I had an amazing ENT professor who 
was kind of like my mentor there in India. And he guided me to understanding what I wanted to do. And he said, if you want to work with kids, let's do a rotation of psych. Let's see. It. He got me into an amazing rotation in the man's in Bangalore. And I actually did that. I learned what it meant. And that really perceived me to like, how do I want to help children, whether it's their psychological status or it's how they see themselves or what is their family history? What is bringing them to what we need, what, what is harming them or what's creating the situation? Because a lot of what they see in their homes is what we're trying to raise them to be better individuals. And that's what got me into the place to say, I want to work with kids. Mm-hmm. So whether it's psych or it's now creating in kids or working with the South Asian Women's Association, you know, like Chai Mamas, I think that really brought me that I wanted to work with women and kids. And that helped me understand that. Uh, Dr. Basin, I'm, I'm curious to understand where did the entrepreneurial spirit come from? Because you founded a few, you know, recent ventures, right? <laughs> yeah. So it came from after leaving, well, Technically, you know, walking away from the healthcare industry, my son was born. I think I've always had it in me. We're Indian. There's some sort of business spirit in us. My brother is in business. My younger brother's in business. My dad, you know, he was an engineer, but he had a business entity to him as well. My family in India, which is my dad's side, they're all businessmen. There, We have a huge family business out there. I don't know if it came from that or watching them. But I think I wanted to do something for the world, for the kids of the world. And I have to say part of it is my husband. He is a financial planner and a CPA. So he's got the money side. I'm not the best with money. So I'm great at spending it. I will tell you, I'm very good at that. If they had like a PhD or an MD in that, I would get that. But he was like, if you're going to do this, you know, and you're not going back to work because my son was starting school. Um, I have a daughter who's who was already in preschool and I had a son starting and he's like, let's see what we can do. Let's create something. Let's, I love the ideas. You know, I'm, if you know me, there's two things my friends call me. I'm the gift queen and the idea queen. I will come up with all the ideas and all the gifts in the world to give to people. And he's like, why don't you take those two ideas that you always do and turn it into something? And that's where in kids came from, you know, and even when we're creating our culture boxes, we're working with people from those countries who are actually either been raised in that culture or tradition, a father and mother, or even a psychologist or somebody who has an educational background, who has a behavioral analysis, who can understand what these boxes need to teach children about culture, tradition, and about that country. Because Mm -hmm. I'm not the expert in Guatemala. I'm not the expert in Turkey. I may be still 80% expert in India, but I still have to learn too, you know, but I am using those tools that I have learned I'm taking from others and that entrepreneurial spirit that comes from, you know, my family and say, okay, let's do this. I actually had a really long conversation with like my brothers when I decided to do this. Everyone actually said this was a good idea because they were like, okay, you've actually come up with something now. (laughs) It's a fantastic idea. And, you know, especially if you think about what's going on in our country today and, you know, the ability to teach kids or create a platform where kids can learn about not only themselves, but other other cultures and backgrounds, I, I think is fantastic. As you've been on this journey, has there been anything that has stood out that has been a surprise to you about you know building the business, about the reaction from kids or parents, your customers? Just curious to know anything stands out there. So like I said, we started in, in March. So the first thing I learned through this is that you have to learn a lot. 
being an entrepreneur and businessman is not as easy as you say, hey, let's jump into it and let's do it. You know, there's there's sourcing, there's manufacturing, there's fulfillment, there's distribution. All these words, I had no idea what they meant. I'm being so honest with you. I mean, I had to learn all these things because one thing in med school they teach you is they teach you to be great doctors. Nobody teaches you business. So if you you don't learn how to how to be a business person, and then there's a reason for that because they want you to focus on on medicine. But that was the one thing that started. And then I've learned as you create these boxes, what are the parents looking for? Mm. And that's the feedback that's been amazing. And I'll tell you with our holiday box coming out, I just literally had this conversation with, I can call her my marketing person, but she's one of my really good friends. She's like the person I go to for everything. She's like, you know, what I noticed was as we've been seeing the boxes, parents like crafts more. Even though we're trying to teach them about culture, we have to now come up with our own crafts that are associated with the tradition we're trying to teach. Because you mm-hmm. can't always find like crafts that are associated with the country or culture. So we're actually starting to create our own ideas, which has been something different for me. Because I've had to work with people who are in that background of education or even arts, because they'll come up with ideas to help me because I don't have that background. So it's, it's, it's learning that books, books were a big deal. My first two boxes didn't have books. And I, I started putting in great books for the kids because parents want a book in there. So yeah, I have learned a lot more when it comes to that. And I'm very excited to say that our holiday box that's coming out, which is the combination of all our boxes that have come out this year, we've actually added more crafts to it. That are our own ideas for the holidays because we're going to be putting out a blog and an article about how all around the world, the holidays are actually celebrated differently. And it's not just Christmas, you know, but it's the way they do it in different places in, around the country. So that's really what I've learned is, is what do they want in the box more? And I'll tell you, I am learning every single day. If I cannot educate myself, then I am doing wrong, not only for myself, for my children, but also my customers and also the people who I'm trying to advocate for, which is the people who want to learn about culture and um, traditions. You know, and if I'm not advocating for that or learning myself, then I'm doing wrong by what I'm trying to put out there within kids. Because in kids is not just a product. Mm. It is a mission. It is a mission to teach the next generation that we are more similar than we are different. And that these differences actually make us unique. They do not separate us. Because I think our whole lives, we are told, you are this, this is how you are, and this is how you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But our next generation has to be united. And if not, we're only going to keep doing this, this mouse cycle over and over again, this wheel cycle. And that is the goal of this business. So I I like to call in kids very mission driven because there's a mission behind what I'm trying to do. Love it. Love it. Love it. You know, 2020 has been a year like no other. And for you starting a new business plus kids at home, (laughs) are you managing it all? How? Um, I have help. I can't do it without help. I'm going to say that. Honestly, I have Maggie. I don't like to call Maggie, Maggie or or Nanny or anything like that. Maggie is our Thea. I've called her Thea. Her kids are my niece and nephew. We have blended this family. And that's one of the reasons I think my, my company or the thought process of what I'm doing has come about. We have such a blended family friend circle or family circle around us. Without her, I couldn't do this. She has been an ideal part in this. My husband 
without his support and his honestly dads and husbands are a big part of our backbone okay as much as we say women are there for their husbands they are 100% they are but my husband is a he has an established business he is does very well for himself he has decided to now stay home and work and he has no idea when he's going back which i don't know about i'm okay with but yes yeah, he he's building an office for me in the garage i mean he's he's really supporting me he lights a fire under me quite a lot and 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 i'm glad he does that because it makes me think without my husband's you know just today i'll tell you it's a really simple story I was very busy because I had just finished our Diwali orders. We are now getting on ready for our Black Friday holiday sales and all that. And he goes, the kids want to go to the park for an hour. And I said, I can't. I'm literally in back to back all the way till four o'clock. And then I have to clean up because we have to do dinner and all of that. He goes, okay. He goes, I'll take him to park for an hour. And he's going into his end of the year tax season because he's a CPA as well, you know, and all, all of that stuff. And they haven't had a break. CPAs have not had a break since COVID hit because of all the changes. Yeah. But he's been my support. You know, without them, I wouldn't do it. But I'm still mom, you know, and I, and I constantly tell my husband, why do I work on the weekends? It's because I have these in-between one-hour crying issues or something going on. I got to still pop in. You know, I, I, I'm still mom. You know, my son will run and be like, mom, I want you. I said, I know what you do. They're three and four, my kids. They're not, you know, they're not older, but... But I do have a lot of help. So I'm blessed in that way. Yes. Dr. Basina, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions sure. about your experiences. Uh, you've been out of the country. You studied you know, out of the country. You've been back here. You've traveled. You've worked a, a lot of different, you know, really important occupations and founded great things. I want to ask you about some of the more challenging moments, you know, and, and specifically about issues of discrimination and when you were faced with them. Can you describe to us some of those issues and how you handled them as well? Well, I'm going to start with the one that really has been the platform for me starting in kids. As a child growing up in Southern California, even though I'm Indian and I had a very diverse community around me, I was still very, very much made fun of. There was a lot of bullying. We're Sikhs. As you know, I said, my brothers at that time had long hair and we wore turbans. They were called butkas and juras that they would cover their hair. You know, the color of my skin was very much degraded and downplayed and, and made fun of. I have a large nose. I was very culturally, like I said, grew up. My parents would still put me in Indian clothes sometimes, like a kurta or something, and I'd wear it with jeans going to school. And the food. The food was the big one. You know, it was like every time I opened my, my lunchbox and my mom would have put something in there, it was like, the comments would come out. It was ridiculous. How did we handle it? So I will tell you the best story I can tell you is how my mom handled it. That's why I call her my superhero. She did this amazing thing when I was in first grade. So I came home one day and I was extremely upset and she didn't understand why. And you know, those days you didn't tell your parents because you're like, oh no, if you go tell them, they're going to tell the school and there'll be more of it and there'll be worse things to happen. And she kind of figured out what was going on. And I said, I don't want to wear this anymore. I want to cut my hair because I had very long hair and it was oily and all of that. And she explained to me in our religion, we don't do that. And she ended up coming to my teacher and telling her, I'd like to come in and talk about our culture and our religion. And not in a perspective of, hey, I'm going to do this studious thing. I'm going to turn it into... Um, and she asked the teacher, can you tell me the different cultures and backgrounds in her classroom? And she 
learned about like the different cultures. So we had some Jewish kids, we had some African American kids, we had some Hispanic or Latina kids, we had all the different cultures that you could expect. Um, Asian, like the Chinese, the Koreans, and you know Japanese kids. And she took some part of our culture and compared it to theirs. So she showed them how our foods were very similar, how some of our clothings were very similar, how some of our heritages were very similar, how some things that we come from that are very similar to what I was, was just Indian. So she took that piece of it and did that. That really changed our lives because my brothers were made fun of that they were girls because they had long hair and they, you know, wore the, the judas and the turbans and they were told to go to the girls' bathroom and not the boys' bathroom. And they, my mom explained the history behind that, that we're actually warriors and we differentiate ourselves within the Indian world and the Indian religions because we're warriors. And we wanted to show that in the, in war, how we were. So it was interesting for little children to be like, really? That's what, you know, she took that perspective. Now she's an educator also. My mom's a teacher. So connecting with children for her was, was really easy, you know, and she's a special education. She taught high school. And so she knew how to take that piece of it. I'll tell you the best part of this that came out of it was we created an international like month at our school through this. Other parents started doing it. Other parents started coming in. And I remember by the time I hit like sixth grade, I was doing like dances for like Koreans, Native Americans. Like we were, we were mixing up our cultures. So you saw Indian kids doing different things. You saw Chinese kids doing Indian dances. And it was amazing how to see how this little community at the school, Stowers Elementary School, how we created that. And I personally didn't realize how to deal with it until I saw her do it. My brothers got beat up a lot you know, when they were growing up, soccer practices and stuff. And I think what eventually happened was they understood how to talk about it mm. and how to, how to say, look, if you don't understand it, I'm walking away from it and I'm going to squash it, you know? And, and I think back in the nineties, the squash was the big thing, just even for bullying and, and, and getting it out there, you know, let's squash this and let's walk away from it. And they really understood that, you know, and they were raised to be understanding and good human beings, you know? And they said that, look, this is who we are. And if you don't get it, don't. And I think it, it stemmed from our parents. And that's how we learned to talk about it. You know, we're, we're Sikhs are considered the warriors of India. And so I think it comes from that bloodline that my dad and mom were like, we don't want you to fight with swords. We want you to fight with your words. And that's what we were taught to do. Thank you, Dr. Basin, for sharing your experiences and, and what your family experienced as well. That's huge and that's powerful. Thank you. You know, it's interesting, I think as we're talking about, you know, your parents and your mom and, and, and folks who've helped you out along the way, who are some other mentors or influential people in your life that you can think of right now? You know, as an entrepreneur, as I'm starting, I've been doing a lot of research of like, you know, women out there who are moms, who are from diverse cultural backgrounds. And the one that always keeps popping out to me is the ex-Pepsi CEO, Indra Nui. I, I don't know if you guys know who she is. She was the first woman CEO and she was Indian and of Pepsi, of like international Pepsi. And I was reading her book and her story and how she was a mom of two girls. Her husband was her backbone and how she really built to be in this community. And she was torn down a lot too. You know, oh, you're a mom. You're from a cultural background that you're supposed to raise your kids and you need to be at home, you know, feeding them and clothing them and being a mom. And she was like, no, I, I, I'm not saying I can do it all, but I'm saying this is the passion I'm going for. And I'm showing my daughters 
that you can do what you want. You just have to find that. And she even says it too. She goes, I couldn't do it without my husband. I couldn't do it without my mother-in-law. I couldn't do it. You can't. But but that's one woman that I've been reading about a lot. And if you're going to say in today's era, of course, there's women in the diverse world. Michelle Obama's one of my, as a 42-year-old woman, looks up to her, you know, as an American, as a, a, a brown woman, just everything she's accomplished and she's raising her children. I love reading her mom's story about how they had to make their beds in the White House. Like that's one of my favorite stories. I tell my daughter, I'm like, yeah, it don't matter where you live. You will make your bed and you will clean your bathroom. This is how it works. Okay. And I think, you know, and I'm going to take a little step away from this, not only for me, but my daughter's four and she did the most amazing thing the other day. And I realized she found a new hero. We call her Auntie Kamala in our house, obviously, because we're Indian. And that's the thing that goes around in the Indian community. You call everybody Auntie. Everybody's your Auntie. I don't care if you're related to them or not. But in the Indian culture, that's the respectful way to talk to our elders. And as that thing was coming out, oh, Auntie Kamala's running, this and that. Imara was sitting with me the day the speeches were done, you know, when we, they were announced. And I'm not very political, but... But I saw my child at four years old sitting next to me who was like looking up at this woman and she was repeating the words from her speech. Mm. You know, you see little children sing songs and this and that. This four-year-old little girl was looking at me and was, and not me, she was looking at the TV. And I looked at my husband like, where's the video camera? Get the video camera. Get the damn video camera. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't move. She's saying, unlock, unlock. I know, unlock. <laughs> record this word. Like, but she was repeating the words. And I was like in awe of her because I've never done that. I don't care who's making a speech. I'm looking at it like, okay, when is this over? You know, like, but she was in awe of her. And she goes to me, she goes, Mom, I can be vice president. I said, Yes. She goes, Wait, I can be president. I'm like, Yes. And I saw for the first time my daughter at four years old, because I didn't have that at four years old. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't, I don't know who were my mentors at four years old. I was like, it might've been a Barbie or a princess on Disney. But there's this new thing that I actually cried that day because I was like, wow, my daughter has somebody. And it's not about her in the political arena, but it's the highest level of office, even higher than that. And the words that, you know, Madam Vice President has said, like, I may be the first, but I'm not going to be the last. And my daughter knows those words now. She knows those words. And it brings tears to my eyes because that's what we want for our next generation. That's really what we want to do. So I know you were asking about my mentors, but it was just an inspiring moment for seeing that, yeah, I may have lots of mentors. I may have, I mean, one of my mentors, I'll just tell you, was my first CEO of the hospital, Bob Shaw. I, I love Bob to death. He's in San Diego now, but he actually guided me to tell me one important thing in life. He said, you will always have jobs out there, but the one thing you can do is create your own empire and your own jobs for yourself. And that's really what I've done my whole life. Every position I've been in or now created has been on my own. Mm. So, you know, it, it's just inspiring to see that our children are also seeing that too. They can create their own positions in the world as well. You don't have to have these doctor, lawyers, politicians you could be anything you want wow love it love it (laughs) for anyone that's listening to the podcast right now that is thinking about starting their own business wants to take that idea and turn it into a business what what advice would you have for them 
So I wish I had this, and I had this a little bit later as my entrepreneurial career started. I wish I had someone who I could really just sit down and talk to and say, what does it take to create a business? And I'd like to be that for somebody one day. You know, I'd like to be that. There are a lot of women out there and a lot of men out there who could be these great mentors. And I wish they would give their time and somehow do it. And it's hard for them. And I get it. They're busy. They have companies that are million-dollar companies. But there are a lot of us who like sit down and go, okay, we're going to do the SWAT or we're going to do like the analysis. And I didn't know any of this stuff. I had an idea. I had a concept. I said, I'm going to put it to work. I'm going to try to figure it out as I go. I wish I had these trustworthy women or men who are in my life now, like after I've launched and done it to sit down and say, okay, what does it take? How do you source items? How do you manufacture? How do you go look for a distributor? How do you do fulfillment? What is the easiest way? I wish that's what I had. And if I I could do that for anyone, I would do it. But it's really finding sometimes people more than books and stories. And even sometimes podcasts, it's sometimes easier to talk to someone to say, hey, these are the things. And, and if you're looking for a mentor and something, here's my advice is just email them and give them those direct questions you want. Because I'll tell you, people will respond and they will help you. I've done that myself and I have had amazing people who I don't even know who have responded to me. But you have to be very specific and very direct in your questions. And I wish I had done that in the beginning, but I didn't know. But that would be my best advice is whatever avenue you're going in, whether it's entrepreneurial or whatever business sense you want to go in, whether it's healthcare or it's it's toys or it's women clothing, find that one person that you think could help you and just email them, DM them. A lot of people are just Instagramming nowadays and they're answering questions. It's amazing. So true. So true. Now, fun question. I love asking every guest. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I don't know if I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to be scared about. That's a fun question. Give us the top three apps on your phone that you use on a regular basis, but you cannot name email, calendar, or text messaging. Oh, I have a love-hate relationship with this app, but it is Instagram. I really do. <laughs> and it's not only... Before I started in kids, I really barely was on it. It was like for family and like, you know, putting kids stuff out there for my kids. And since I've started my business and now my platform as the cultural expert and advocate, you know, like like I'm, a lot of people are coming to me to like talk about like entrepreneurship and as, as a diverse woman... It's really hard to like, deal with things that people say. Um, that's one. I will tell you my favorite one. Every morning, I wake up. I'm a big... I believe in visions and manifestation. I do a daily teachings app that gives me my affirmations. Mm -hmm. I do an intentions app. I do a lot of meditation. So Insight Timer is a really great one that I've been using. And I think the third one I would say is my Hangout Google app because... <laughs> Hey, it's not it's not email or calendar, but all of like you know my employees, everyone who like I'm working with them on this on the philanthropy side, everyone has their own little hangout thing, and it's constantly going off. Yeah, we get a lot of hangout and we get a lot of Slack answers as well too. I haven't gone on Slack yet. I have it on my computer, but I just haven't gotten the app because I feel like it's going to overwhelm me. <laughs> <laughs> Good, Eric, you're on mute. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say, welcome to the new love-hate relationship, Slack. It's so much. And there's so much going on. And I'm like, just on my computer, I'm like, 
my God, which one is this one? I have like four different groups I'm part of. And I'm like, I, I can't keep tabs on what I need to be on top of. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm, that's why I haven't put the app on yet. Because I know it's going to drive me. My husband's a big thing of not having the phone next to my bed. I try to sleep early because I'm an early riser. I wake up about 4.45. And when I go to bed at 11, I'm a mess the next day. <laughs> like, get that phone out of the room. <laughs> it's because of that. <laughs> Well, well, Dr. Wasim, please share with everyone how they can stay in touch with you. What are some ways that they can follow you and, and continue the conversation? Absolutely. So first I'm going to start with, I love that you call me Dr. Basim, but I feel like I'm my uncle or something who's a doctor. So. <laughs> um, everyone knows me as Z. Um, my name is Zabina. Z is, and it, it, it's, do you mind? Can I tell you the really quick story about Z? Oh, tell us. Yeah. So I played basketball my whole life. I'm 5'11". My coaches, I played throughout elementary school, high school. I played for junior high school and I played for club. And so my basketball coach was he was my club coach probably when I was in like fourth, fifth grade. And then I went through till high school with them. And he said to me, he wanted, I was power forward and center. And he goes, I can't yell across the court and call you Zabina. It's just too hard. <laughs> so he used to call me Z. And he used to say, I'm calling you Z. And then he made a jersey for me the summer after. And he, it was called Dr. Z because, you know, Dr. J was yeah, center basketball. Nice. So um, I'm an LA girl. I'm a Lakers fan. We grew up on them. So it's like Dr. J is not. But I mean, so he made that for me. And my friends always called me Dr. Z. Just from that day, all the way through med school, all the way through that. So wow. they call me Dr. Z, everybody. I'm, I'm known Z. as that. They can definitely check out all of our culture boxes and all of our InKids products on www.inkids, that's with the Z, co.com. I have the platform on, we have our social media, which is at InKidsCo. I have my personal platform, which is the Culture and Diverse Advocate, which is at Zabina underscore Basine. And then if anybody wants to check out our South Asian Women's Network, it's at Chai Mama's Cross Happy Her. You can go to my social media personal and you can find all of them. So it's, it's at Zabina underscore Basine. Awesome. Dr. Z. We were delighted that you spent this much time with us. We're grateful. And thanks again to our sponsor, Publishers Clearinghouse, the leading media and commerce company serving America's heartland. Thank you for supporting this podcast. And you can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thank you. <laughs>